You're listening to Postcards from the Edge by a place both wonderful and strange. Hey there. Um, welcome to uh, Postcards from the Edge, um, my weekly BFF.FM um, radio broadcast that goes right into your tiny little eardrums. Um, or if you're like me, your, your eardrums are pretty big because those um, iPod headphones never actually fit. Um, my name is Russ Marshalik. If you don't know that, I am one third of the band of Place Both Wonderful and Strange. And um, ever since I started this show like 14, 15 weeks ago, um, I've kind of been wondering what exactly it is that I want to do with it. I've had some amazing guest mixes. Um, done literally just a live conversation with Ghost Cop and my bandmate Shanda and Partisan from the UK about um, walled garden internet apps while listening to terrible 21 Pilots songs. And a couple weeks ago, I decided that one of the things I would really like to do is try to um, kind of explore my own biases and um, do something other than just say, here's, here's a Shackleton tune. Um, so... If you know me, you know that I am preternaturally biased against Burning Man and all that stands um, as uh, signs and signifiers of Burning Man culture. So I am trying to delve into why that is and what the culture actually is, um, ostensibly for my own peace of mind so that I can um, kind of reconcile people who I love and respect um, also being heavily into the Burning Man culture. And also just for, for my own personal understanding, I don't like having prejudices um, against people other than Donald Trump. Um, so, yeah, so this week I spent some time talking to... Um, a dude named Kevin Bracken, who uh, runs New Mindspace and is a burner multiple times over. Um, so I'm going to air that interview as it happened. A couple caveats. One, um, the sound quality kind of gets a little crappy. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, I am working through some equipment shit, but I wanted to get this done. Um, one, because I wanted to talk to Kevin while he had time, and two, because I didn't want to just rerun an old episode again. Uh, so if you can bear with me for the quality, the conversation was really, really good and kind of, as I say many times, kind of hit me in a blindside uh, with... Um, some stuff that I relate to. Uh, so thank you again, Kevin. Um, again, Kevin is with New Mind Space, uh, www.newmindspace.com, I believe. Um, and yeah, their car from this past year, their their um, art project, the Prodigal Swan. Um, you'll be able to see that if you click on the show information. I've put a picture of it there. Um, so once again, without further ado, um, here's a conversation I had with Kevin Bracken. You're listening to Postcards from the Edge by a place both wonderful and strange. Hey, Russell Seven. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Um... Thank you for taking some time out to chat with me. 
problem. Um, just for legal reasons, I am telling you, even though you already know that I'm recording this, and it's going to be um, unedited unless the content ends up fucking sucking, um, or I have a technical technical issue. Okay. I'm going to put this unedited on my radio show. My only question for you is if I can swear, but yes, uh, absolutely. Great, great. Um, the, it's that that I I would actually insist that you do. Okay, great. Uh, um, so for those of you who don't know Kevin, why don't you yourself, Kevin, kind of give a little introduction to who you are, sort of new mind space. You've done like a thousand things since we uh, first met. True. So um, just I guess um, elevator pitch, Kevin Bracken. Totally. So I think when people want to know, like, hey, what do you do for a living? The most boring fucking cocktail question there is. Uh, I usually just tell them I'm an event producer. If they think that means that I haul speakers around or I sell tickets to parties, that's totally cool. Um, but for the last 10 years, I've been putting on mostly free, massive, fun events. Uh, probably most notable, International Pillow Fight Day. Now in 150 cities around the world, people literally do just hit each other with pillows. by the thousands on the first Saturday of every April. Uh, giant games of capture the flag, huge bubble blowing parties, nightclub parties, illegal underbridge raves, things that have required me to drag generators through the mud in the pouring rain to make sure the party still went on. Uh, you know, basically any manner of public fun that uh, that we can get away with. So it's called New Mind Space, uh, and I've also you know thrown parties under lots of different names. Refuge, we had an illegal nightclub for a while in Bushwick. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of fun stuff. So that's uh, that's what I do. Events are my passion and uh, probably my purpose too. I mean, I think they are the thing that I am uniquely good at, uh, way more than you know any of the corporate shit I've ever done. So yeah, events for my life. Cool. Yeah, um, that that definitely I think encapsulates uh, the Kevin Bracken that I um, have come to know over the past few years. Um, so yeah, definitely check out some of Kevin's work. He's he's definitely in terms of um, in terms of those of us in the 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 event world Kevin is um super inspirational in terms of you know what it doesn't matter if there's no power and um there might be a flood and the cops will probably most definitely likely come fucking do it anyway <laughs> just yeah, do it um so uh i how then um did you so let me ask this when was your first time going to burning man and what um I kind of know the answer to this, but just, just you know, for, for everybody else, um, what initially appealed to you to make you l literally buy that ticket and take that ride? Sure, sure. So the first time I heard about Burning Man, I was 11 years old, and, uh, and this is when I first discovered electronic music. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was the first music that I said to myself, like, this is my soul, like, this is the beat of my soul. And, uh, and so, I mean, back then when I was 11 years old, I guess like what it was, I guess trance was like, trance was the most popular yeah, yeah. dance music, right? Definitely. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I heard about this thing called Burning Man on the news, I guess. It was probably on some fucking Dateline special. They were like drug orgy in the desert. Um, but at the moment I was like, I was reading like rave magazines. I had just gotten the internet. I was reading like rave mailing lists. I was just really getting into the rave scene. Uh, obviously I couldn't go to raves because I was fucking 11. I didn't go to my first rave in New York City until I was uh, 15 in uh, like the Amazura Ballroom in Queens. 
But, um, but you know, I just, like, I kept, like, I asked my mom if she would take me, and she's like, no, they're not fucking taking you to Burning Man. Uh, so, from that moment on, I wanted to go, because I just thought, like, this is my culture, this is, like, my thing, and, um, and I wasn't able to go until I was 18. You can't go to Burning Man uh, as an unaccompanied minor, but you can go when you're 18. So, uh, I bought tickets to go when I was 18, when I was living in Toronto, and uh, I think that year we probably spent maybe like $500 on the whole thing. Uh, I got a flight from Buffalo because it's the closest American airport to Toronto. We ate basically like potato chips and apples the whole week and trail mix. And uh, we like hitched a ride from somebody at the San Francisco airport. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, since then I've been going. This was my 11th burn that I just went to. This year we created a massive art installation called the Prodigal Swan. It was a huge sheet metal uh, swan that could fit about 8 to 10 people with a sound system. And you know what? I think long story short, and maybe this is what you're actually getting at, is uh, I, I am unusual in that unlike many burners, the thing that got me into Burning Man, it, it was really the music that pulled me there and then the art. I think a lot of burners, especially older burners, uh, it was the art and then maybe the music, or maybe not the music at all. I think there's actually a very deep cultural divide within the Burning Man community, and some people think that Burning Man has been ruined by dance music, uh, but personally I think that's one of the greatest things about it, is that um, if you ever went to a technoval, or if you ever went to any kind of free techno party, then one of the beautiful things about it is if you have a sound system and a generator, you can show up and you can play your music. Whatever kind of music it is, whether it's fucking like, if it's like down-tempo ambient polka core or some fucking jazz step or some hard techno or whatever you like, then you can play it and people vote with their feet. And if they like the music you're playing, then you have like a guaranteed audience as long as your music isn't shit. So, I mean, that was really the thing that attracted me initially to Burning Man. Although now, after going for 11 years, I mean, we're very, very much deep in the scene. Well, um, for, there's, there's a couple things I wanted to say. One, um, for the listeners, there's going to be a picture of the Prodigal Swan in the show notes. So um, you will be able to see it. I'm going to uh, throw a bunch of pictures up there because it actually is really fucking cool looking. Um, second, goddamn jazz step, the fucking, like, the, the, that new Avalanches song completely had me hooked, and then I was like, I'm listening to jazz step, they've, they've <laughs> tricked me, I feel tricked, um, I've waited 15 years for this, and now I have to go bury my head in the sand. <laughs> but, um, it's a you, rabbit hole. Yeah, you, you make an interesting point, and you, you come at this in, from kind of my one weak side, and that is that, you know, when I first started to get really heavily into electronic music, um, you know, I was a little older than you were. I was like 15 and um, I lived in the South. So um, there was there was very much kind of a massive younger crowd that would go to raves and underground parties and whatnot. And I remember, you know, hearing about what like Lee Burridge was doing with Full Moon Fest and things like that. Right. And um, at the time, the thought of, you know, being up for a week and just listening to dance music with people that also wanted to consume that seemed super idyllic. And so when you present 
you know, that facet of Burning Man, I actually am like, oh, this kind of sounds cool. And, you know, I know that in terms of the music scene out there, it's definitely escalated from, you know, when when it started to to where it is now. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that now you've got the, like, the for lack of a better word, and, and I don't hate this dude, but for lack of thinking of anybody else, the Skrillexes of the world coming out to Burning Man to, to play. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you know, Burning Man did not actually have dance music at it for the first 10 years of its existence. So it started in 1986, and in 1995, that was the first year that there was actually a, a rave at Burning Man. I think uh, the headliner was Go Gill. Uh, I mean, that guy's like, he... I, I feel like he'll never die. But, um... So Goa Gill was there, and he his name was actually on the flyer for Burning Man, which is something they would never do now. They would never list a DJ's name on the Burning Man flyer. Yeah. Um, but and also there it was like a black and white photocopy flyer. Like there were only people there at the time. Um, but it caused such an ideological rift between uh, burners on one side who have been going for a long time, like your kind of leathery badass, yeah. like fucking dogs and guns and explosives type burner. Yeah, the like Mad Max burners. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, in the Bay Area and Southern California area rave scene. And, you know, there was a major ideological falling out and there was a confrontation and generator cables were cut and it was really just kind of a bad scene overall until the next year they passed an official ban on sound systems louder than 100 watts. So, uh, you know, the what the Bay Area and L.A. and some New Yorkers too, actually, Black Hat was involved in this action – uh, what they did was they built a massive paper mache uh, art installation, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like we're not doing a rave this year. We're bringing an art installation." And Burning Man was like, "Cool, come on in." And then in the middle of the night on the Wednesday of the event, they busted out a twenty thousand watt sound system from the paper mache sculpture, and they wow. played music all night until there was a confrontation, and they negotiated and they said, "Okay, like we'll let you bring sound systems next year." But they have to be really far away. So it's pretty much been like that ever since. Um, you know, the the loudest sound music, sound camps at Burning Man, they have to be far away, and they have to be facing away from kind of like the residential areas of the city. Um, and I mean, I'd say like, uh, you know, in terms of New York camps, I'd say Robot Heart is probably like the loudest mobile sound system they have there. They have a, like a function one sound system. But, uh, you know, since they started allowing um, dance music at Burning Man, the population has, has swelled dramatically. But I've, I've camped with the sound camp for the last 10 years, whether it's been either Opulent Temple, Root Society, or Nexus, and those camps have played host to some of the world's biggest DJs. Now, um, you know, Opulent Temple is the, is the camp that I've spent the most time with, and Opulent Temple has never paid a DJ, ever. Wow. They have 12 fundraisers during the year to raise their budget for uh, for the for, for Burning Man. They you know they bust ass during the year. None of them are millionaires. They they work their asses off uh, and they you know they raise a lot of money to bring out sound and art and fire and these DJs and some DJs even donate to OT for the privilege of playing on the stage. Like for example, uh, you know we used to do a lot of trance back in the day. Um, Openfold donated 5000 to us Tiesto donated 5000 to us um, But these days I mean, you know, we have all kinds of music I mean, there's DJ Dan Stand Warriors, Infected Mushroom played this year 
Um, but none of them have ever gotten a dime from us. They've never gotten a, a plane ticket. They've never gotten, I think one time we've given a DJ a Burning Man ticket. But in general, it's up to them to sort all their shit out, just like every burner. And, you know, they just want to play on our awesome fucking 100,000 watt sound system and have this kind of vibe that you just honestly can't get anywhere else. I mean, Burning Man has the, the largest ratio of, like, crazy shit per person. I think of any music festival in the world, or any, sorry, of any festival in the world, music or not. And the reason is because each individual could bring something that is up to the size of a house, literally the size of a house. Um, and so the amount of crazy shit out there and just, like, the fact that, you know, you have these people who are ready for anything, uh, I think for, for a DJ, for whom music is the most important thing in their life, why wouldn't you want to play Burning Man? Wow. That's, 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 again, you're coming at me from, from, from the side that is completely sympathetic and that, that, you know, as somebody who also, you know, DJs on, on nowhere near on the level of Tiesto or Open Fall, don't eat, like, maybe 300 people as opposed to 300,000, but, um, you know, that, it, it reminds me a lot, and I guess I'll ask you this, because, um, you were there too, um, albeit you were in the North and I was in the South, to what degree, um, does it remind you, because I remember when, for, for, to put it kind of plainly, I remember when rave shit stopped being fun, and for me, that was in Atlanta, when raves kind of died, and clubbing kind of started escalating, where instead of, you know, the kids with the fairy wings and the glow sticks and whatnot, it suddenly became about, like, black pants and nice shoes and a button-up shirt when you're right. trying to listen yeah. to, like, yeah. Kazell or, it's like... It's like he's going from the rejects to the cool kids. I, I know exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly it. That's yes. awesome. From the rejects to the cool kids. Yeah, um, so, I mean, here in New York, that moment was definitely, was definitely between 2001 and 2003. And, you know, part of the reason that it happened... Uh, was because there was a coordinated effort. Well, one was the Rave Act. The Rave Act, you know, weighed heavily everywhere else in the country. But New York in particular, because of all the money that the NYPD got from the federal government for counterterrorism initiatives, it seemed like almost everything that was illegal became possible for them to stop. So before then, I mean, you know, there was just too much New York City to police and all the grimy underground spaces you could fucking throw parties. And, uh, you know, then around 2002, 2003, it suddenly seemed like every venue got shut down at basically the same time. And, you know, at that moment, uh, nightlife, uh, you know, the nightlife industry was like, well, we got to switch to bottle service because we can't have dancing in our spaces anymore. Otherwise, they're going to think we're a rape. And, uh, you know, that's when, uh, when meatpacking started booming and that's when the bottle service model, like, really kind of uh, came up. Because they were no longer, you know, Peter Gation was gone, right? Like, no more limelight, no more club kids. Like, Peter Gation had been deported to Canada. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the moment that I started seeking a better rave scene. And I, I heard from my, from my best friend at the time that the rave scene in Toronto was still untouched. And so he, uh, you know, we went to a rave in Toronto in 2003. And I was like, this is the best shit I've ever seen in my life. Because at that moment, Happy Hardcore was like my thing. It, like, I was so into Happy Hardcore. And there, there were all Happy Hardcore raids in Toronto, really big ones. And so, uh, you know, around that time, they were talking about a draft for the war in Iraq. 
and you know it never happened obviously but a lot of the American public really supported it and that was the moment where I decided that I was over this country and I, I applied to only Canadian universities I got into the University of Toronto and I moved to Canada and I, and I enjoyed a healthy racing until that one also died uh, probably around like 2008 or 2009 is if I had to put a date on it but uh, anyway, I know that your. I mean, your question really is. I think though, like you know, do I think that cool kids are taking over dance music at Burning Man? Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of exactly where where I was going with that. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the Burning Man scene in San Francisco, like, so you know, it's. I think it's important to uh, just to set the set the tone here. So Burning Man is is uh, is a very broad it is a very broad term, and it talks about not only a single event but also a culture and events that happen in 50 countries around the world. So I think it's very difficult to paint Burning Man with like a single brush, and that's why I'm going to refer to Black Rock City, which is the city that pops up during the week before Labor Day, right? Okay. Black Rock City has a population of 70,000 people. It has very well-organized streets and avenues and a planning department and police and fire and medical. It is the third largest city in Nevada during, during the event. Um, you know, dwarfed only by Las Vegas and Reno. It's now larger than Carson City, which is the capital of Nevada. So, um, Black Rock City, like any real city, has a census. And the census has very good data about the people who come and what they do. So, 40% of burners uh, who go to Black Rock City, uh, ever, in, who went to Black Rock City in 2015, were from California. And if you go to California during, any, you know, during the year, and you go to a Burning Man party, like, those people are freaks. They're fucking freaks. I mean, there's no other way to put it. If you go to the Superhero Street Fair or the How Weird Street in Ball in, 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 in Vice Grips, yeah. and, you know, their balls hanging out of, like, leather underwear. And the Superhero Street Fair, you know, it's the same way. Like, you're the, the theme of the Superhero Street Fair is, like, be the superhero that you would be if you're a superhero. And everyone there is fucking weird. I mean, there's a lot of weird people in the Bay Area. And really when it comes down to it, I mean, Burning Man is a creature of the Bay Area, and there's a lot of fucking weirdos there. But there are camps at Burning Man where you are going to find, like, I don't know, like, you're going to find, like, a, like a well-heeled crowd. I think Robot Heart and uh, White Ocean are probably the best examples. So, White Ocean is a camp run by the son of a Russian billionaire uh, oligarch, and, you know, White Ocean and Opulent Temple actually did have an agreement three years ago. Um, and, you know, uh, Opulent Temple took a year off, and all the core members went and they built the first year of Wide Ocean because they were like, well, you have the knowledge, and we have funding, and we can make, like, a really cool stage. And it actually ended up being a terrible mistake. We hated their vibe. Um, they were super rude to us, and, you know, from then on, they paid contractors, basically, to, uh, you know, to set up their camp. And the other is Robot Heart. Robot Heart is from New York, and... I think people associate Robot Heart with attracting like models and and uh, and whatever. But here's the thing: Black Rock City is a city, and just like any other city, there is bound to be a ton of different types of people. Especially when you're talking about a city of seventy thousand people. So, the upper quintile in California of of household income is one hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars household income a year or more. Uh, the upper quintile of Burning Man is about $100,000 a year. So you're talking about, like, I don't know, like, what, a 28% difference to get to the upper quintile. Burning Man is actually incredibly diverse uh, in terms of, you know, in terms of income, uh, in terms of origin, 
and I think we can talk a little bit more about race later because I have data about that too. Um, but the fact is, in a city of seventy thousand people, like there's going to be rich people, and it and like it seems like they're very visible at the uh, at the dance camps just because like there's a shitload of you know good looking, seemingly well healed, clean looking people who haven't been rolling around in the dust. But you got to figure that you know, say that it was only a few thousand people like that. I mean, you know, or the, the you know the upper quintile of income. We're still talking about four fifths of the city is like it's not like that. Um, you know, they're they're getting down in the dust and they're working hard and they're fucking building shit and they are welders and they are artists and they're you know blue collar workers and they're just like regular people from San Francisco who've been coming to this thing for ten years sometimes. 20 years, I've even met people who are the first Burning Man. So, I mean, really, like, you know, I do agree that there are certain camps at Burning Man that seem to be associated with, uh, I guess, kind of like rich-looking Eurotrash globetrotters. Um, but at the same time, there are... How many how many, uh, how many large sound camps are there allowed? It goes out to I. Uh, I is, is what? The, and then there are two sides that go out to I. I don't know, let's just call it, uh, let's just say that there are 26 massive sound camps that are allowed to be at Burning Man, and then there are hundreds of smaller ones that will still play music at some point into the evening, but they have to stop around 12 or 2, depending on what part of the city that they're in. So, yeah, I mean, I think White Ocean is definitely like, I don't know, it's kind of like a rich person dance music camp, and maybe Robot Heart is too. Um, and Robot Heart also throws its own festival called Further Future, which I think if you're looking for a larger concentration of like well-heeled dance music people for the future. Oh, definitely, definitely. That that is going to end up probably being its own <laughs> its, its own separate uh, its own separate uh, show eventually right. once I get that far. But right. um, yeah, definitely familiar with that. Um, but to answer your question, yeah. I mean, you know, Burning Man is a city, and a city, yes, there are definitely going to be like the richer people in the city and the not so rich people in the city. But uh, honestly, this never really factors into your conversation with people either um, but I do think yes like the number of uh, yeah I think there are two camps where I would say like there are kind of very obviously better healed people uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either as this is like a real city with you know real city thing um, so uh, I'm going to since you mentioned it um, I, I'm going to volley to you um, sort of as our, our last like big broad conversational topic um, the question of, of race sure, obviously sure. with Burning Man the question of race comes up a lot um, the, the, the infamous black folks just don't like the camp quote um, yep. is it kind of hangs, hangs there with that um, sure. so, so yeah so talk to me a, a, with, with about you know the issue of race at Burning Man Sure. So one thing is, you know, a question that uh, that I've heard is, you know, do you think Burning Man is a, is a racist event? And that is, uh, it's it's a nonsensical question because there is obviously uh, one, there's clearly no race test to get into Burning Man, uh, and and two, I have never seen any evidence of a large number of people of color who have expressed a desire to go to Burning Man and have not been able to because of some kind of perceived uh, systemic uh, inequality. So, uh, you know, I, I have the data in front of me. 80.4% 80, 80 of burners in 2015 identified as non-Hispanic white. And so, uh, you know, compared to the, compared to the country, 
the country is 63% non-Hispanic white. So that means that Burning Man is about 27% whiter than the country that it takes place in. I think for any music festival, this is probably actually the norm. And I would say this might even be lower than an event like Bonnaroo or, or Camp Disco, especially. I think Camp Disco is probably way more than that. Yeah. Um, or any, or your average fish concert. Uh, or, you know, I mean, I, or especially fucking Coachella. So I would say that one, I, you know, is Burning Man actually significantly wider than the country that it's in in a way that would surprise you? I don't think so. But, but here's another thing. I mean, I think it's actually more about class, and I think class is actually the more interesting question. So, um, you know, you may not know this, and that's why I'm here, but um, <clears throat> Burning Man does a lot of things to make sure that uh, if you can't afford to go to Burning Man, that you can. So, um, you know, uh, the average burner spends $1,943 going to Burning Man every year. And is that a lot of money? I think so. However... Uh, you know, consider the, let's talk about the ticket first. The ticket to go to Burning Man is $390, right? So, $390, and, and what do you get? This year, for the first time ever, Burning Man was nine days long. You could show up on Saturday, and you could leave on Tuesday, and the reason for this is because Burning Man, uh, to get into it, you need to go, uh, through a two-lane highway. It's never getting bigger, the highway is not gonna grow, um, and basically Burning Man needs to figure out ways to reduce the number of cars that are coming in. So what they've done to that effect is, uh, you know, that now there are vehicle passes, and if you want to bring a vehicle in, you have to uh, have a vehicle pass, and the number of the supply of vehicle passes is designed to contract every year. So this year there are fewer vehicles than last, next year there will be fewer than that. So the ticket is $390, and the reason that it was longer this year was to allow people more time to get their, uh, to get in and out without causing a massive flood of people on either side, the beginning or the end. So, um, so think about that. Think about $390 for what is essentially nine days of, you know, I wouldn't call it entertainment, but uh, participation or entertainment. We're talking $43 a day. To go to a festival that, I mean, by most people's accounts have been there, it's like the most mind-blowing event they've ever been to in their lives. Um, and so $43 a day to pay for that, to me, seems like, I don't know, seems like a good price. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, if you if you were to, like, spiral that off into, like, a, the normal festival ticket yeah. price, yeah. that is definitely being, yeah. You know, that's definitely the most important to account, like, your Coachella's, or even your fucking, like, you know, even your governor's balls. Totally. Your, totally. Your, so, so, consider yeah. that, in addition to the $390 ticket, there are 6,000 low-income tickets available to burners. And, uh, and so the low-income ticket is $190, and 4,000 of them are available through... Uh, applications, and 2,000 of them are available for people who are working on big art projects or um, or big camps or also performing, uh, you know, during the, the the fire festival before the man burns, the the, the gathering gathering of the conflict. So, um, so $190. I mean, if you lived in San Francisco or Reno and you hitched a ride to Burning Man on Craigslist, they they tend to run about $50. And you cooked all your own food that you bought from, you know, Trader Joe's or from, you know, some kind of cheap grocery store. You could 
you, if you didn't have the money for Burning Man and you could prove that to Burning Man, you could do the whole thing for like 500 bucks for nine days. I mean, that's, you know, I think that's actually incredibly affordable. I've never heard of anyone who wasn't able to go to Burning Man because they were a low, they were a low income person. And, uh, this year, Burning Man also announced that every year that, you know, they take different factors into account. And this year, the factor they took into account especially was the fact that the Canadian dollar right now is very weak. Uh, the Canadian dollar right now is worth about 70 cents uh, U.S. So, um, you know, they announced that they know that there's a lot of Canadian burners. It makes up about 7% of the population of Black Rock City. And they would take into account the fact that the, the, the currency was low in their low-income ticket applications. And a lot of my friends who are just like, you know, they work at restaurants, they're servers... Uh, they live in Toronto or Vancouver, and they were able to get the low-income ticket because they applied for it. They said, hey, here's how much money I make. It actually, you know, it's not that much money U.S. Uh, do you think I could have a low-income ticket? And they got it. And until 2014, I don't know why they didn't do this anymore, but this was, I think this was a cool program. There was a scholarship program, and if you wrote into Burning Man and basically said, like, you know, I've been meaning to go to Burning Man my whole life, but I'm going to bring this art project, like, this is what I want to do. Uh, they would just give you a free ticket. And they did that for, like, I think 10 years. Uh, I don't know why they don't do it anymore. I think they have just rolled out more low-income tickets and scrapped the scholarship program. But, um, you know, when it comes to class, like I said, I've never heard of anyone who was not able to go to Burning Man simply because they were a low-income person. Now, if you're a middle-income person and uh, you think Burning Man is too expensive then I think that's fair, but at the same time, like I said, the, the mean for annual for expenditure on Burning Man was $1,943. For, a, for a, a middle-income person, this should be about what you would spend on your average annual two-week vacation, um, but I also do think that the mean is dragged up quite a bit, and I, I don't know the median, but I would venture a guess that the median is considerably lower, because I know that even coming from another country, and paying international flights, and, uh, you know, like, after 10 years, I finally bought, like, a shitty, beat-up old RV, um, you know, even after, the, and we, you know, our camp, uh, our camp dues are $100, some camp dues are more, um, you know, even after paying for all those expenses, I, I still don't think that last year we spent, I don't know, we spent 1900 bucks. Uh, so... You know, I uh, I don't think that, I mean, there's certainly no, there's no income test to get into Burning Man, but there is an income test if you want a low-income ticket, and, it's, you know, the way that I have been, the way it's been explained to me is that there's a lot of them, and I don't know any other festival that really does this, although there are festivals um, where, you know, you can get a free ticket if you volunteer in the kitchen or whatever. But um, but beyond the event itself, I mean, when we're, especially when we're talking about class and race, I, I think that it's important to know all of the projects that Burning Man also does that are not Black Rock City. And I'm going to go over a couple of them now, if you're interested. Sure. So, um... Yeah, I'd say, um, I'd say I, I prob- we probably have about another 10 to 15 minutes of, of airtime um, before I have to chop some of, some of it up. No so if So if that is good for you, then I would absolutely, you know, love to end up ending this with, you know, whatever else you'd like to tell me about. So, you know, beyond beyond the gates of Burning Man, there are, are tons of communities that are impacted by Burning Man in a really positive way, and those people are primarily people in northern Nevada, 
who live in very economically depressed towns um, in Pershing County, in Washoe County, people in Reno, people in Fernley, Wadsworth, uh, what other cities are on the way, um, Empire, Gerlach. You know, these are people who, they basically lived in a one-horse town that is currently undergoing a period of, you know, massive deindustrialization. The city of Empire uh, was responsible for one half of the country's sheetrock production, um, because that's where they mine out there, they mine gypsum. I mean, sheetrock is essentially fly dust compressed into a board. Um, and, um, and you know, the mine dried up, and, you know, they now Burning Man is the only thing they have. So, you know, the, the, the economic impact on northern uh, Nevada is hugely beneficial, but many of the people who live in the communities around Burning Man are, um, are Paiute, uh, Paiute uh, native, native First Nations people. Um, you know, they're extremely impoverished. They have problems with access to clean water and electricity and sanitation. Um, you know, they have problems on their reserves with, um, you know, there's addiction problems, there's alcoholism. And, and Burning Man, you know, they realize we have all these electrical engineers that go to Burning Man. Why can't we give them free electricity? So that's what they do. Uh, you know, it's called Black Rock Solar. It's a free electricity program that benefits um, nonprofits, schools, and Paiute reservations uh, that are basically along the road to Burning Man. And when you're driving there, you see, you know, all along the road, there are these massive solar farms, and it says, energy provided by Black Rock Solar. Um, now, there's also Burners Without Borders. Burners Without Borders is a, uh, is a group that found that was founded my first burn, uh, 2006, because at Burning Man, we received news from the outside world that there was a terrible uh, hurricane that, had just, that was basically destroying New Orleans. And the people and the burners who were there at the time, they, a lot of them left early because they said, look, we know how to erect temporary structures, we know how to use generators, we know how to set up tents, and we know how to, like, you know, basically make these, like, super efficient, low-energy-consuming camps in the middle of nowhere. We should get our asses down to New Orleans, and we should lend a hand. And so now, uh, you know, Burners Without Borders is it's all over the world. I think there are... Um, you know, there are chapters in there are 20 countries now. Um, you know, they did stuff for Lake County, California during the fire. They're in Asia, they're in Africa, they're in parts of Eastern Europe. Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, really the, the scale of burners and the borders is, is crazy. They do a lot of shit. Now, there's also big art for small towns. Um, you know, Burning Man grants $3 million a year to art projects, but that's only art meant for Burning Man. There's another, I think it's a couple million dollars for art that's destined for other places. Um, you know, you can look at, you can, uh, look at it more, but I mean, Burning Man is really all about taking the impact of the art and bringing it all around the world. There's also the City of San Mateo Innovation Week. So the City of San Mateo, um, I believe it's 62% Hispanic. Burning Man uh, funded, or and rather co-sponsored and funded uh, City of San Mateo Innovation Week, um, where they taught kids all kinds of, uh, you know, special skills like welding and fabrication. Um, there is Jacmel Expression, which funded, uh, 15 marginalized artists in Haiti, in Jacmel, Haiti, uh, to purchase screen printing equipment and create an artist-in-residency program. And so they've been teaching business skills and screen printing to, uh, people in Jacmel, Haiti, 
uh, after the earthquake so that they can, you know, get their feet back on the ground and, you know, and, and start uh, start doing something to, to generate money for their families. So, you know, there's actually a bunch more, but I understand that our time is limited. Um, but really, you know, that's just Burning Man itself. Now, consider that every burner, uh, you know, is kind of called to, to gift and do some kind of volunteering. And a lot of times that volunteering is just with their camp, making art during the year, you know, spending nights and weekends on this thing that, you know, usually doesn't usually cost them a lot of money or doesn't make them any money anyway. Um, but some people, I mean, you know, they, they have created massive projects in other cities um, like Detroit and Oakland and, you know, just things that I think really spreads the benefit far and wide. I mean, but, you know, some of these places like the Peralta Junction was built in West Oakland and, you know, it employed local people. In West Oakland, I'm sure you know, is a very impoverished part of the Bay Area. Um, and for all the junction, you know, they said we're only going to hire locals to do the fabrication and to, do, you know, be the employees here. Um, you know, downtown project in Las Vegas, downtown Las Vegas is also a very economically impoverished place. And downtown project and Burning Man have been working together to create jobs for the local, the people who, who work there. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff, man. It's like, there's a lot of stuff. And I, uh, you know, if you look at the pictures of, of the event of Burning Man, and you say, like, oh, it's a lot of white faces, like, what's that all about? Or, like, hey, like, this thing seems really expensive, like, is there, you know, is, is there something wrong with that? And I think these are definitely worthwhile questions, but I do think that Burning Man also takes great strides um, to not only address these things, but also to really just be a positive impact, you know, in, in the world. Yeah, um... You definitely have given me a lot to think about. Um, I'm obviously not about to, like, hop on a plane and go out to the desert right now, um, which would be pointless anyway, because it's not going on. But, um, yeah, uh, anyway, thank you so much again, Kevin, for taking, like, half an hour out of your day to, to kind of walk me through this. Um, it's super fascinating for me, um, even if nobody else ends up caring, but, um... This is this has been really fucking informative and cool, and I, I like the the kind of rage spin that you put on things. So yeah, you you've given me a, me a lot to think about, and I really appreciate it. Well, man, yeah, I mean, thanks for uh, thanks for listening and having open mind about it, and I'm happy to answer uh, you know any follow up questions you might have, and let me know when uh, when we're live when we're live on the air. Okay, cool. All right, thank you so much, Kevin. All right, peace. All right, bye. All right, thank you so much um, again, Kevin. I really, really appreciate you taking your time to talk to me. Um, again, that was, it was super, the the the, the rave aspect of it, um, again, it's something that's kind of close to my heart. So uh, obviously not buying a ticket for the desert anytime soon, but um, I'm going to keep having conversations like this. Um, and if you thought it was cool, awesome, please let me know um, if you hate this kind of new format um also let me know but i probably won't change it because this is my fucking show so that's about how that goes um anyway uh yeah um thanks again kevin and if you know this show you know what time it is see you next week carry on my wayward son there'll be peace when you are done lay your weary head to don't you cry no more. 
Once I rose above the noise and confusion Just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion I was soaring ever higher But I flew too high Though my eyes could see I still was a blind man Though my mind could think I still was a madman I hear the voices when I'm On the 